0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is on. Competition is on. Competition is on. Competition is on. Competition is
1: To another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. And today I'm joined by my good friend and one of the best sports writers in the state of Louisiana and beyond, in my opinion, Mr. Rod Walker from Nola dot com and the advocate. Rod, how you doing today?
0: Good man. Thanks for having me on. Um uh, first time I've done your podcast. So I'm glad to glad to be here. Um crazy times man. We're in the middle of we're in uh what September and we're in mm-hmm. football season and NBA playoffs and some Baseball, college football. And- just, yeah, just, everything's going on, so, but that's good, considering where we were, you know, a couple of months back when there was nothing going on, so.
1: It's hard mentally sometimes for me to get um, as excited uh, with all the things that are going on in the world naturally, but also just the normal cues of the seasons are not there. It doesn't feel like football season to me. Um, Is it strange for you, like yesterday, you go into that Superdome, And there's not a fan there. It is the opening game of the season. How surreal was it, that environment? It was probably the –
0: and I've been writing sports for a while. It was probably the weirdest environment i would ever been in. I mean – and I'm sure a lot of that is because of the dome. And, I mean, everybody knows how electric the dome can be. And just to see the dome like that. I mean, it literally felt like you were watching like a high school game just, you know, just in the – a stadium that was too big for, for the event it was in, you know, I've gone to state championship games for like small one, A schools. And it sort of felt like that's what I was watching, man. It was just like that. And uh, but I mean, you got to credit the, the players. I mean, these are professionals and we saw the same thing in the NBA bubble. I felt like I was one of those guys who thought the bubble was going to be just so hard to watch. And I mean, right away, man, it was like, it felt like normal basketball to me. So I just, I just credit those guys for being professionals and knowing that's just what they do. And it's, they treat it like that and the game itself yesterday I mean the, the game itself felt like a regular football game but I mean just the atmosphere was just a lot different even just driving to the dome with no traffic, uh, no fans outside Champion Square empty I mean all of that was different I mean, you could hear things during the game that you could never hear Um <clears throat> there were times you could hear players on the sideline just screaming out stuff and I mean you know how high the press box is in the Super Bowl yeah. you could actually hear people up there and that's that's above the 600 level so it was just crazy to to see that and uh, and just be a part of it and you know um, you you hope things get back to normal soon but I mean I understand why they're not normal and I'm supporting uh, the mayor and whatever she decides as far as letting fans back into the game because if she doesn't feel like the city's ready for that yet I'm definitely all for it I think safety needs to be the priority.
1: Yeah, I, I have to give the players so much just to be to I don't think people really understand how hard it is to compartmentalize in a different way. Because we get to, in our jobs, we get to go, we've gotten to go home. There isn't any type of extra precaution for us. We go to work, we have to wear a mask, we have to do those things. But for these players, it is an, an incomplete change of lifestyle. Everything has been different for them with every regard for the past five, six months for them, And now to do this mentally and physically in a way that they've never done it in their lives, to get your body ready for these things going into yesterday, before we get into the game stuff specifically, how did players react after the game to just that of ramping up their emotions, ramping up their physical and and taking on those hits that they had not really done all since, you know, since last season ended?
0: I think these guys, you know, even talking to them leading up to the game, most of them were just talking about, they were just so ready to get back to to doing what they're accustomed to doing this time of year. So uh, I think they adjusted to it fine. Uh, I didn't hear anyone after the game, you know, saying it was any different from any games in the past. So, you know, I was concerned, you know, going to the game. I thought, I thought like tackling would be an issue. I don't think the Saints struggled tackling at all. And there were some teams um, that probably did, but the Saints seemed to adjust really well. I mean, you couldn't really tell that it was, uh, that they didn't have a preseason. I thought they played, you know, for the most part, the game was, uh, I mean, as far as Pre-snap penalties and some right. of the things you normally see earlier, earlier in the season, you didn't really see those. I think they, they did a good job of of handling the situation, considering they didn't get a lot of warm up that normal warm up period that they typically have. So they do win
1: 34 thirty four twenty three. It wasn't the prettiest game. You get the the main thing was the Saints' struggles in Week One are well documented um, with Sean Payton, but to get the win, a division win at that. Um, that was the first and foremost thing. You said you talked with Sean Payton already today. How was his mood about the victory?
0: Uh, he was pleased with it. And I think anytime you get a victory and you don't play well, I mean, you got to be satisfied with that. And you look Just talking to those guys yesterday after the game, I mean, most of them know that, especially the offensive guys, talking to Drew Brees, who, you know, he admitted that he played awful. Um, all those guys on offense felt like they – left a lot out there and didn't play well and I mean this is a team that scored 34 points and well obviously the defense scored one of those but still I mean you, you scored 34 points and and didn't play well I mean I think that's a good sign and again you have to take into account that this team didn't have any preseason practice you know practice they didn't go through OTAs and some of that normal stuff and this is a Bucks team that I mean we think they're gonna be pretty good I mean you look at the offensive weapons they have so I don't think I don't think Saints fans should be concerned um, this early in the season uh, with with that performance, yesterday. And I, I just think, you know, the Saints offense—they typically come around anyway. Um, so that's that's never really been a bit concerned. I think the fact that the defense played so well and special teams played extraordinary—I think that that bodes well for this team. So um, I think fans should be, you know, pretty optimistic based on what they saw.
1: Let's start with the defense because they did play so well. You know, you get three turnovers from the defense, which was a point of emphasis that they needed to create more turnovers from last year. Um, They did a fantastic job in confusing Brady with some coverages. A couple of those throws were just bad throws on his own, but they did change up coverages. They isolated Mike Evans and and made him a non-factor. And even with Tampa trying to get the running game going to give Brady some play-action opportunities, they never really could. And I think part of it, too, was – the Saints forced the Bucs, like when they did change backs, you knew what was coming. It seemed like every time the McCoy came in, you could say they're going to pass. And every time Leonard Fournette or, or um, um, Jones was on the field, you knew it was going to be pretty much a straight ahead run. So, I mean, that certainly helped. But to see the Saints defense get after it the way they did, there were no real big plays given up. Like you said, there wasn't missed tackles. Guys didn't get through to second and third levels. Um, that had to be really uh, good to see considering they did not get to tackle uh, live a lot during the preseason.
0: Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, you look at defense to, you know, the one big problem I guess they had, you know, they had the four uh, four, um, defensive pass interference calls, uh, two of them on that opening possession. Uh, You take that possession away, I mean, Saints, you know, they pretty much um, had their way. And, um, I mean, you got to commend Marshawn Lattimore, the job he's done on Mike Evans um, pretty much every time they played other than the you know, back in I guess that was two years ago, with
1: Fitzpatrick. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. 2018 season opener. I mean, he struggled that game, but since then, I mean, he's pretty, been pretty dominant against um, Mike Evans. Mike had one catch for like two or three yards yesterday, and on that play, Demario was actually, um, you know, was on him on that play. So Marshawn pretty much kept him in check. And then you got Jenkins on the other side, who because uh, Marshawn basically just shadowed Mike Evans the whole game. But on the other side, Jenkins, you know, he I mean, he gave up. You know 60 70 something yards but for the most part I mean he you know kept his guy in check he had the pick six which was, which was really big and um I just think this defense is playing really really well and uh, we, we talk about the, the front a lot I mean they haven't given up a 100 yard rusher you know going back to 2017 so you can't run on this team and then you know Davenport didn't even play yesterday he's mm-hmm. hurt again um <laughs> But Carl Granderson had a sack. Um, Trey Henderson had a sack. So I mean, you, you're getting some help on the from the other defensive end side, um, opposite Cam Jordan. So I just think, um, you know, obviously DeMar- Demario had a sack. So I mean, they're just, they're just playing really, really well and and flying to the ball and they just have a lot of, you know, just a good pieces. Marcus Williams had an interception. Uh, you know, he's a guy that, you know, uh, he he has these two big these two plays that. I kind of ish in Saints fans' <laughs> memories. Uh, but you take away those plays, I mean, he's he's been a, a pretty solid uh, a safety. Uh, tackling has been one of the issues he's had, and that's something he worked on in the offseason. I mean, he said that's kind of the thing he felt like he needed to improve on. So if we don't see those lapses, you know, again this year, I mean, I think he's a guy that could really have a special season as well. So I think defensively, I think this team is – I think what we saw yesterday was a good sign.
1: This is a deep secondary. Like that's the part for me is as for years you've been talking about do they have enough depth at the corner position to have enough of the depth of safety. Well, now they not only have depth, but they got flexibility and guys who can play multiple positions out there who can stop the run, who are good in coverage. And they can I think that they, they have the ability to adjust and be pliable more than any Saints defense in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, and
0: that's something that Dennis Allen talked about. I mean, he just talked about how this – he calls it positionless football. And they got these guys, they can play corner, they can play safety, uh, they can move, you know, guys up in, in the box to help out on the run. And and it just makes this team so much better. And, um, I mean, we talked about that depth in the second. Year. I think the depth is, is really good. I do think that Marshawn Lattimore is probably the one piece of this team that you don't want to lose, though, because I just think he does so much with locking up. Whoever he has to, and you look at this division. I mean, you got some really good receivers uh, in the NFC South, and Marshawn, you know, he usually fares pretty well. And you know, he's a guy that he's the, he's the one guy I just think you, they can't go down. And, he, and PJ wasn't even PJ Williams, didn't even play yesterday, mm-hmm. he was a late scratch. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's I think again, I just think the defense played really well
1: on the offensive side of the ball. That's where there were some struggles um, today. A lot of the media has been talking about. Um, where the Saints failed and what their potential is offensively. Look, I mean, Mike Thomas gets a high ankle sprain. He didn't have his best game. Um, that happens. The other stuff, Jared Cook looked great to me. Um, I think he this season he's going to be even more of a weapon than he had been in previous years, uh, than last year. Uh, there are more opportunities for him down the field and in those seams where he does great damage. Yeah. To me, a lot of it just seemed like, a, the line isn't ready yet. This group just hadn't had enough snaps together. Um, and then they do have to find a way to get Al Kamar going in the running game. He just still hasn't had that game yet in a while.
0: Yeah, it's funny, man, because I – you know, when we we're at the games, we we're we we're watching the game, but we we're also riding a little bit. And But when you go back and look at it and you look at the stats, like I was surprised when I saw – Compass rushing yards. I mean, he it, it wasn't his. He, he did. I mean, he really did, didn't do anything. And I guess you know he had the touchdowns and you, you saw those and he hit the one that was called back. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, he was he was kind of kept in check. I mean, he had some. He had 50 yards on uh, receiving, which you know that's what Alvin brings to you. Though. I mean, he's able to you know get some catches out of the backfield. But I think the one good thing about this team is, I mean, you look at what Mike Michael Thomas was pretty much not even a part of the game yesterday, and they still. You know, they, get, they just have so many weapons that it's just going to be somebody different every night, probably. Because I just, I just think the way this that's that's the way this team is built. And you know, Michael Thomas said that he he thought he could you know break his record, that 149 receptions record. I just don't see it because uh, first of all, that's a phenomenal number in a way. But I just think this team just has too many other weapons, and people are going to do what they can to take Mike out of the game. So. Um, you just got to find a way to win with regardless of who it is. And, you know, Latavius Murray, you know, he had a lot of – he actually had more carries than um, Alvin yesterday. So, um, it's just going to be, you know, whatever they're feeling at the time and who can, who they can get the ball to.
1: It seems as if that the Saints' game plan was not to make it too much on Drew. Um, and I think that that probably will hold for most of the season this year to, to kind of manage him. Uh, but – that physicality, it certainly, there's a, in a, there was an attempt to establish that physicality up front. Tampa is a difficult team to do that against. We know that their defensive front seven is one of the fastest and most aggressive in the NFL, but they didn't give up a lot of hits on Drew, which was, yeah. I thought was an important thing. I think they can get better at opening up those holes for the running game as the season goes forward.
0: Yeah, because Drew only got sacked once yesterday, but, uh, you know, you look at the front with Cesar Ruiz out, and, you know, he had been he hadn't. He had missed, you know, the last couple of practice. practices. Yeah. yeah, So we figured he wasn't going to be there. Nick Easton, you know, filled in, um, in in his spot. So I do think that out of all the positions on this team, I think the offensive line not getting to go through OTAs and not having preseason, I think that is going to be the biggest, um, um, the biggest part of us noticing, you know, that they didn't have that that, that preseason. Time to time to work together. It's going to take them some time to gel, and you know, fortunately, I mean, I think you just got to try to try to survive the games, keep Drew standing, and, and you know, move on to the next one. But uh, yeah, they they definitely have to get you know they have to get better, and you know, this team is obviously better if they can establish the run a little better than they did yesterday. And you know, obviously, you know, a lot of fans <laughs> aren't happy with 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 the uh, amount of um, the, the the small number of um, of runs that you know Sean Payton calls, but you know, they just haven't – they've been kind of struggling establishing it, so.
1: And yesterday it was tough, too, because you do get three turnovers. You get an almost short fields. There weren't a, a ton of plays. You know, you get one that's for turn for a touchdown. The other one gives you just outside the red zone you're able to get into the end zone pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, there weren't a, a lot of extended drives. Uh, but overall, it felt like Sean was trying to achieve some balance. It, it didn't seem like he was doing his, you know, riverboat gambler type – offense he it, it really seemed like he's trying to establish a rhythm and it just didn't work it just didn't work yesterday yeah and, but, and, but talking to Sean you
0: know he, he thought that was the worst he said and he actually said you know he said it's the worst uh, job of play calling he'd probably ever done so he wasn't happy with with whatever decisions he made and uh, so um, I expect to see you know maybe something different on um, next Monday night when they, uh,
1: they, they play the Raiders. And I would expect right now, I would assume that everybody feels like Mike Thomas is going to be back on the field for the Raiders game as well.
0: Yeah, you know, we we didn't get an injury report um, today. I get we won't get the first one until – Wednesday? Yes, Wednesday this week, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, Mike's such a tough guy, man. I just – that was a catch he made yesterday when he was going across the middle. He, he actually yes. stumbled. He stumbled a little bit, and he still caught the ball. <laughs> he got laid out. <laughs> I have no idea how he held on to the ball, but I mean that to me, that just shows you who Michael Thomas is. So, um, I mean, he's going to have to really be hurt not to play on Monday night because he's just—he's a different kind of dude, man. I, I can't even explain how tough he is, and he's—he's he's just so intense. I mean, you have to just seeing him in practice, man. It, it's really incredible. I mean, he, if he drops a pass in practice, I mean, he's going to—he's frustrated about everything. I mean, he's just—he's just one of those perfectionists, and you know, one of those guys who just thinks he's supposed to catch every single pass that comes his way. And, you know, that's how he was able to hold on to the ball yesterday because he just wasn't going to be denied despite the hit and despite the the stumble that he took there right before, right before the hit.
1: The Saints did get a couple of other wins, though, over the weekend. You do get Alvin signed to his contract extension. You do get DeMario Davis, and his extension gets announced basically right before the game kicks off. To have that done now, A, those were very important to get done. I was surprised Kamara got done as quickly as he did, considering Ramcheck's situation still sitting out there. And also now this impacts Marcus Williams very much going forward. What do you think the Saints' plan of attack is for those two key guys? Certainly, Ramcheck is somebody who's indispensable. But Marcus Williams, as talented as he is, as a safety with this salary cap, does this kind of spell that he may not be back?
0: And you got Marshawn in there too. You know, he has, yeah, and he he's still paid. gotta get his deal, yeah. He gotta get paid too. So man, I don't I don't know who the well, I, I think Marshawn's a guy you gotta keep. I think Ramchek's a guy you gotta keep. Um I think the team does like Marcus Williams, but I mean, out of those three guys, I mean he probably is the most expendable one. But you know, I think this is a Saints team, man. I think they really like their pieces and I know there was like a narrative out there that hey, that window's closing, but I don't think the Saints window is really closing. I think the Drew Brees window is closing. I mean, obviously, I mean, because of age, but I mean, this team has some really good young pieces and they've they've locked some of those guys in. When you look at Mike, now Camara, and with well, Demario's, I guess he's the older piece, he's 31 now, but um, they're, they're trying to keep this group together, Cam Jordan. I mean, they're, they're trying to keep this group together and uh, I just think they'll do whatever they have to do to, I, I think, again, I think Marshawn and, and Ramchek are the ones that you, you got to have. You, you gotta have. And, you know, I, I could see, you know, Marcus maybe, you know, walking. But, I mean, I think they'd want to have him back. Now, you look at Vaughn Bell, I, th- I thought Vaughn was a guy that
1: – Right.
0: I was a huge Von Bell. I thought he was just really good. I thought I thought we didn't talk about him enough this offseason losing him. But, you know, they brought in Malcolm Jenkins and, and Malcolm played well yesterday. So, I think they'll be fine without him. And, you know, safety might be one of those positions where you feel like uh, we, can, we can find another one for cheaper. So,
1: I do like, though, that they are, like you said, they are built, it seems, to have sustained success after this, no matter whom the next quarterback is. Um, If it is Jameis Winston, uh, then he certainly would have weapons around him. But if you end up getting somebody younger, whether it's Taysom Hill or whomever with less experience, at the very least, you've got an experienced line coming back. You've got a running back that you can count on. And you've got all-pro receiver at one side. And and at the very least, you've drafted a young tight end who could be that kind of complement it seems to Mickey Loomis. It's so funny to me that on one side of that, that office, at airline highway, you have a team that seems to have a definitive idea of who they are, what they want from players, and how they want to build for the future. And then on the other side, you have a team that's still very much trying to find their way.
0: I was wondering where you were even mentioned Taysom Hill, man. So that's why I was, i was smile a little bit <laughs> to see if you're going to bring him up. But, but yeah, you know, and that's something Sean always uses the word vision. Like, and it's just so. And it's not a word that he's just throwing out there. I mean, they really have a vision for every player they sign. Like they know what they want him to do and how where he's going to fit into this into this team. And and those guys, they have that strong vision for. I mean, they they're doing what they can to keep him around. And um, and that's all part of the culture that this team is built. I'm not. I know people think that. Just kind of throw that word out there, but I think the Saints really do have a culture that, and I haven't been around any other NFL team, so I can't really speak for them. But every new player that's ever come in here has just kind of talked about how different it is, and and that they have sort of built this winning culture that you know hopefully the other side of <laughs> the other office out there can can build up that same that uh, that same type of culture.
1: Um, what out of what you saw out of the Raiders yesterday? Um, as the Saints get ready for, for their next game. I, I don't know if you got to watch a ton of yeah. the Raiders. I just but, it, but. I
0: mean, it,
1: it's a road game. It's, it's again, to be in a, a, an environment that's not normal and a franchise that's not normal. Certainly, it'll be a lot of attention. Are, do the Saints, are they changing up anything in this COVID now for their first road game? Are they leaving earlier? Are they, doing, are they changing any of their... Um, protocols this week as they prepare for
0: the first road game um, that Sean had not mentioned anything differently I think you know it being a Monday night game obviously get an extra an extra day to, to prepare for but um, um, nothing different that, that we've heard and I think you know we talked about this road game and, and it is a road game obviously but I think the road games are just not going to be as tough now I think visiting teams are going to and I don't know what the winning percentage has been in the past but I just think with no fans I think it just changes a lot of things and uh Obviously, this Raiders game, this will be the first game in that new stadium on a Monday night. Uh, with fans, it would have just been electric, and now it's just going to be like the high school game that I watched yesterday. So, um, yeah, but I, no, no change as far as protocols or anything that we've heard yet.
1: Let me ask you about this, because you do cover high school football, and we both have covered plenty of high school football this year, the LHSA is in a very strange position, a very precarious position. Um, I've talked to some people who are very concerned. And I, you know, you talk to people who are just willing to push forward. I have a conflict. I morally have a problem at times, just even thinking about going ahead with the high school or college football season. Um, how are you dealing with it as a person? And then how in your reporting are you trying can you try to be fair in asking the questions about safety and the state's liability and the school's liability because these are things that are going to be real? And then, how do also do you just present the game as the game?
0: Yeah, I definitely, I agree with you on being conflicted about it. I'm, I'm the same way. Um, I'm, you know, I, you know, these kids' safety definitely should come first. And you know, I'm from Mississippi originally. And they started their high school football season three. I think this is week three for them and. You know, you, you see stories There's a school that had to shut shut down for two weeks and not cancel their games because, you know, positive test and, you know, for, I can't remember how many players in quarantine. So these issues are going to come up. I mean, when you look at what the NBA and what the NFL has to do as far as testing, they're putting a lot of money into testing. And, you know, I mean, we all know how these schools struggle with money anyway. So they they can't afford to do it. And, you know, you know, there's a risk involved, like a, a bigger risk. And, you know, if I had a kid in high school, I mean, I just, I don't know if I let them be out there. I'm, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't let them play. But again, I don't know. It, it's a tough call. You know, the mayor's in a tough position. I mean, she's concerned about the safety and which is, should be priority number one. And unfortunately it's not priority number one for some people. They just kind of want to go play football. So um, it, it's definitely a, a, a tough issue. And, I would say I can see both sides of it, but I can't really see both sides of
1: it. the, The hardest thing for me has been that there has not been a lot of critical questioning from the media side, particularly the people who have access to the LHSA, in asking them directly, why are there not uniform guidelines for every parish in this state why are there why has there not been a fund for testing to where those tests could go to a centralized place and that we could keep statistics on what's happening in these districts do we trust schools high schools to report their data when we have we know you and I, like you I said you from you grew up in Mississippi you've been in Louisiana for 7 8 years now i grew up in louisiana We know what urban districts and and rural districts look like, how they struggle to keep their schools clean on a daily basis. How they struggle to keep kids, you know, who are coming from rough places on a daily basis just to keep them in a normal facility. And now we're asking high school football coaches and 15, 16, 17 year olds to be monitors of the deadliest pandemic we've had in a century. I just, I, I don't see how that works. It's asking
0: a lot. I mean, these kids, you know, they're going back home every day. I mean, it's just, there's, yeah, it's just too many things that can can go wrong. And I think it's going to probably, you know, it it may take an outbreak for people to say, okay, you know what? We need to slow down and think this thing through. And uh, until that happens, I mean, I think, I think we're going to (laughs) be just all in trying to, you know, trying to play football on Friday nights.
1: And at the college level, it's tough for me too, because i watch the student athletes and and i watched the last two weekends of college game day and two coaches two very prominent coaches one in Ed Orgeron and i think he misplayed it by saying racism got to go and and you know using that tone and then then you get Nick Saban saying all lives matter including black lives and we see these major coaches who either are not saying anything or are saying things in in a way that is not communicating the message maybe that players and African-Americans in general want to hear, and yet the full push continues to go back to these things where players have talked about using games to mute the movement. It feels as if that's where we're headed. Do you see that? Do you hear players concerned about that?
0: I haven't really, you know, I haven't kept up with the college as much. I mean, like, you know, I, I've been yeah. with Tulane, so not sure what they're saying, but I know they've they've done some things to show that they are being more than just about a hashtag I mean they've you know they have some some projects that they're working on that is going to try to to show that you know that they're trying to make some changes and you know I commend them for that I I wrote a story on and I can't even remember the name of the of the project now but I mean they're really putting their money where their mouth is so you know I commend them for that but I, I think some of these other little things aren't really doing that I mean I think they're saying, oh, we're going to let them speak up. But, you know, you, you got to really put something behind it and make it more than just a hashtag.
1: Yeah, I was really disappointed in NFL's presentation over the weekend from Thursday on um, and the way that they handled what happened on Thursday night. They didn't really get into <laughs> the issue of why the booing was occurring. They didn't really uh, deal with that. I thought Mike Tirico um, left a lot to be desired in his discussion of the topic and then as we went into it Sunday, you know, the NFL talked about we go put the end racism and we're all in this together. And they're in the back of the end zone and you can barely notice the print. Right. And then you see these t-shirts and yet there's no uniformity in how teams were approaching it. Everybody was doing something different. And Roger Dell gives a terrible interview. And then you see what Eric Reid and Colin Kaepernick and their statements afterwards. It just seems the NFL cannot get out of its own way in dealing with these issues.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's always kind of been what separated the NBA from the NFL. But you now, even yesterday, like at the Saints game, they played Lift Every Voice and Sing. Like, and it was played like, it was like 30 minutes before the pregame. And it was so weird that I couldn't tell if it was if that was the actual what they were supposed to be doing, or if they were just kind of practicing because it was so early before the game. But the only reason I knew it was real is because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were in their end zone. And they were all like Lock, you know, hands, you know, arms interlocked, and they were playing the Alicia Keys' video that I guess every team in the league played the same video. Mm-hmm. But it was just really strange because they played it. Then Tampa, the Saints weren't out there for it, but they played it. Uh, the Bucks went back to the locker room. And then there was like a 25 minute wait for the game to start. So it's like they just—I don't know if they were just throwing it out there, saying, "Okay, we'll we'll we appease the black people." requirement. We'll, we did, yeah, we did right. That's what it felt like. It was just so empty, and um, you know, this whole movie just needs to be about. It just can't be a lot of these empty phrases like that. And that's what, that's exactly what it felt like yesterday.
1: I think it'd be interesting when you do get the opportunity to talk to Malcolm Jenkins in particular, because he's been so vocal about these things, what his impressions were. And also I'd like to, I mean, I, I think we still have to keep, you know, tabs on Drew Brees and those things. Because when the Saints put out the video, it was fine, it's fine in the sentiments and all that. But I just still want to see that urgency. And I think that's the thing that drives the players who have spoken up about the problems and it drives most of the people is like, as soon as you stop with the urgency and you start watering it down and making it softer and cuddly and make this right. thing about, Hey, if we link up, we can fix right. this. Yeah. To me, it's, it's just, it's, it's disingenuous. This has to be uncomfortable. This has to be difficult. And we need the white players in particular to stand up and say, I'm ready to be uncomfortable. And I am not the lead on this and let the the agenda be set by the people who want to be infected, but have, who are affected, but have the white players who are allies and the white owners who have to step up too who say that they're allies. Well, you got to do more. You have to be a actual presence. And that's what I'd like to see in particular from even with the saints and Gail Benson. Look, she's in the fortune 400 now for the richest people in the world. Maybe if she said, a good thing would be, hey, take that same subsidy money that I get each year from the state and apply that to racial justice, to fixing our prison system, to doing those things. It's not a ton of money in her pocket. And it really isn't, you know what I mean? I, I just think that there are things that these teams could do, but it seems that the motivation is more often on the tax break by setting up a foundation that I can make a donation to rather than the actual issue. And that's the most frustrating part of all this.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, you, you talk about the unity thing. I remember a couple of years back the Saints and the Falcons did a similar thing. This may have been – I don't know if it was 17 or – I think it was 17, but they did a unity thing. It was just – that's not – yeah, I thought I was just missing the whole point. And uh, I do think – I think the fact that the Saints have guys like DeMario and Malcolm, I think those two guys are – there's probably not a team in the NFL that has two guys who are more outspoken and and understand that it's bigger than just you know, just a bunch of catchphrases. They understand that it's still going to take money to to, to create some of the changes that, that that are needed. They understand the importance of voting and, and and getting these you know making these elections fair and and getting people out there. So, I think that bodes well that the Saints have those kind of guys. And I think they are going to make sure that it goes beyond this pregame stuff. I mean, they they know it's much bigger than that.
1: Uh, lastly, before I let you go, um, I wanted to ask you just. As we deal with this as a media group, as all of us journalists go into this different environment, the access is different to players, the the way we maintain our relationships uh, with our teams is different. How have you had to adjust already, and, and and just start to plan going forward in how you prepare stories, in how you you know just make yourself available to the, to to different people, or just you know what are you doing differently to give your readers the same level of access that you've enjoyed in the past?
0: It's definitely tougher, man. That was uh, I'm still trying to figure it out because you know right now, I haven't been in the Saints locker room you know the whole training camp you know I could go to the I could go to the Saints locker room in the past and go talk to Demario one-on-one and you know, while all the other reporters are around whoever. And, mm-hmm. and now we don't get that. Now we just, we're getting them on a Zoom and everybody's there. So you're not going to get those, um, well, I'm not gonna say you're not going to, but it's gonna be much uh, more difficult for, for writers to get, to get those more intimate type stories because you're just kind of getting some broad, you know, you're asking kind of, you're not really just getting to the meat of the subject on a lot of things because you just don't really have that access. Um, so that part's tough. I mean, you have to just try to <laughs> work some other way around it, I guess. And, and that's not just with the Saints. Are. I mean, I think that's mm. pretty much across the board. I mean, I think the Pelicans will be the same way. And I don't know. We, we may not ever go to a locker room again. I mean, this could be the new
1: norm. I just you, just, you don't know. I'm fine with not going into locker rooms if we don't have to for basketball. I don't really enjoy being in a locker room waiting. If they're going to give them to us at a podium and we get a chance and speak to them. I'm good with that. There could be some adjustments, but yeah, I, that access. And I thought about it most during training camp because those are the times really where you get those, you get yeah. to, you know, sniff out gems, people who right. are that, that are coming up the ladder that you don't really get to see. And because of the limit on the video that we got on a day-to-day basis and right. that, that limit of access of questions, you're yeah, going all way when we were doing the Pelican too, in there in the bubble, it's just been so much harder to get follow-ups. Right, and to be right. able to get detailed. Like,
0: you take a guy like Cesar Ruiz, like I had never met him in person and that, that wouldn't have been the case in the past but I mean I've just seen him on Zooms and that's it and you know, if this was a year ago, none of us would have ever talked to Zion in person. we just seen him on Zoom and that would have been it. So, you know that's just different. I mean, and, you know you have to sort of, they need to see your face and in person to kind of be able to relate to you and open up and that's how you get the story. So I mean, yeah, this is this is definitely a different, a different time, so we're not used to.
1: It's going to be 17 weeks of adjustments. It just feels like, and if we get through all 17, hopefully, but just so many adjustments. Um, I, I'm going to give you a quick Pelicans thing before I let you go out too. All right, so today we get a bunch of, like, a bunch of flurry of things that could affect the Pelicans, and I just want to get your thoughts. So first, we get Lonzo Ball signing with Clutch. He's, this is his fourth different okay. agent in his career, in his third and last two years. So what does that say about Lonzo in your mind? But also in his quotes he says he's he clearly says he wants to be in New Orleans. He wants to be with BI. He likes what he's doing with Zion. I know people have their impressions of what clutch in the Anthony Davis saga. Do you think this becomes a non-starter for Zo that like this means that his clock is ticking definitively or do you think that this is just hey it's business?
0: Um, I, I can't blame anybody in New Orleans for being concerned. I mean, you have to be concerned after what, I mean, you, you saw last year. Uh, but, again, I mean, I, I never really fault anybody for making decisions that are best for them when it comes to sports. I mean, these guys are – you have to look out for yourself. And If you think that's the best thing for you, hey, go for it. So, I, I'm, you know – I'm, I'm cool with it, but I do. I can definitely understand if you're a Pelicans fan, like why you'd be concerned. I mean, just you know, with the AD and LeBron connections there, and uh, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely something to <laughs> to have in the back of your mind or maybe in front of your mind. And, and but I, you know, David Griffin has some. He's worked with with Clutch before, so uh, he's worked with Rich Paul before. So you know, I don't know. It's it's gonna be interesting. I can tell you that. <laughs>
1: On the coaching front, uh, Mike D'Antoni's not going back to Houston. He's, they, they're saying that he might be the favorite for the Pacers job. You still have a lot of really interesting candidates out there for the Pelicans, whether it's the Ty Lue, if you look for experience, or Nate McMillan, or you're looking for one of these hot assistants that everybody keeps naming. Um, To me, I'm not big on names. I think we could all throw out three or four or five names that that we'd be fine with as the coach. It doesn't seem to me that that's really been the problem with the Pelicans. It's just been alignment. The players, the coach, and the front office have never been on the same page. And you've not had, and we talked about this a little bit offline, you've not had um, anybody emerge since Chris Paul left to really say, I am the leader, not the face. Anybody can be the face. right? But I am the leader, and I take accountability for this franchise.
0: Yeah, I think – and to me, that's more important than the coach. I think you can get a guy that can – you can get your player's coach or whoever, and I think if you don't have the right pieces, you're not going – you don't have that leader on the team, you're not going to win. I don't care. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, and there's – actually there's so many good jobs out there. Uh, more, More now than it was – a month ago, I mean, you look at, you know, the Sixers, the Pacers, the Rockets, um, Bulls. Am I leaving out somebody? Sacramento's still open,
1: right? No, Sacramento's still no,
0: open for
1: GM. No, Sacramento's open for a, GM. Sorry, yeah. but yeah, so yeah, um, I, I
0: think, um, yeah, I, I think whoever they get, I think, I mean, I, I do trust Griffin on who he hires as a coach. I think he'll get someone who he thinks is a good fit for this team. But again, this team is still, to me. Just needs that 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 piece, that leader, that that tough guy, the guy who's gonna hold other players in their locker room accountable. And I, to me, that's what's been missing. And you know, and I always said, I mean, we go to those locker rooms after the game, and I just never feel like anybody's um, mad about a loss. It's just always, oh, okay, we'll get them next time. It's just kind of a ho hum attitude. I just think they, um, I think they're missing that. And I, and I always go back to the, the Yo Rondos. Yeah, I thought he was sort of that guy who held guys accountable and. But outside of him, they haven't really really had that. I think it's missing. And I think, to me, that's what they got to go out and get.
1: Yeah, J.J. tried that this year. He tried to be that guy. But it's hard when all of you are new and you don't have any – it's not like you had a vested he, – he, he's not vested with the Pelicans. Right. You know, right. It's his first year too. Right. So if, he, if it's somebody who's been there – and I think what you're really looking for is it, it's got to be one of either Zion, B.I., or Alonzo, because those are your three positions that you're building around. And if it's not one of those three, then then you have a problem on your hands going forward.
0: And I've only been around all three of those guys for one season. Right. I just don't know if they. Have, I don't know if it's that personality though. I don't think it's Drew's personality. I don't, know, it's I don't think
1: we know. It's not Drew's.
0: I think right. we know at this point. And I don't know if. It, I think out of those three guys, I think Bi is probably the one who it probably could be, but. Man, I just I just don't know, man.
1: That's... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that, that – the big question for me for Zion in year two is, is he going to get an edge? Because that's the one thing he did not play with in any of the 20-plus games we saw. Right. There was never an edge to his game, a snarl that – you know, he got points, but it was like there was never a point where he felt like he was dominating the game physically. You know, and particularly in the bubble, I know there was all the controversy about the minutes, but my biggest thing was – at no point did I see him put anybody on the ground. You know what I mean? Just use his body and just say, right. okay, I'm, I'm a basketball player. I got to just go get the ball. Right. And I think that's the thing I want to see in year two is an, mm-hmm. a le- a raise, an intensity, a, a level of aggression that's just higher for him.
0: We saw it in, I guess, the only time we did see it was in, in the summer league in Vegas, you know, and he, <laughs> I guess, Knicks and he ripped the ball and, and, and slammed it. But, uh, yeah, we just haven't really seen that side of him. And I, I think he did spend a lot of his rookie season just kind of, trying to find his way, and I'm sure the injuries just made it – he just could never really get into a groove. I mean, he was just it – it would have been tough on anybody. <laughs> so, hopefully he can-
1: I just, the, the other thing I hope is that his dad is not his, – his stepdad is not a similar situation to what we had with Big AD. You know, Big AD. Because I hear these things, these little rumblings that Zion's stepdad is very much in that vein, controlling – that he was not happy with the way the Zion was handled in year one. He didn't like the fact that he kind of just, that he became a joke in some regards, especially the way the rookie of the year voting went down and it was became this big thing. I think that they were really upset with year one for Zion. And I think that's what makes this even more critical for Griffin in year two is that you can't let him get embarrassed a second year in the eyes of the people close to him. They expected more out of year one. They didn't get it. Year two is critical for that for that impression on the franchise.
0: Yeah, I didn't get a chance to talk to his stepdad during the season. I talked to him a little bit after, right after the draft, you know, briefly. And uh, you know, I mean, he was a guy who was really big on Coach Gentry, and you know, you know, an, an older black guy, you know, kind of being responsible for his young nineteen year old at the time son, and he was kind of all in on that. But yeah, I mean, as the season went on, I think he was still probably a Gentry fan, but I think just the way all the other stuff happened, I think, I mean. You, and this is a guy that's been really good everywhere he's been. So, you know, I'm sure that this rookie season probably didn't go the way he wanted to. And like you said, yeah, I mean, you don't want to go through year two the same way. I mean, maybe you can just scratch this year one off and say, okay, we just had some some tough luck. But I, I do think the things need to look better um, year two. I mean, he needs to be, he needs to be the man <laughs> in year yeah.
1: two. Yeah, and he better learn how to defend. He better um, learn how to defend. And, and I, I am looking forward to the fact that I think this time around, my goal is to be more honest and critical in a in a real way for Zion, because I think at times locally Anthony got a lot of free passes because of fear that people were scared that if you say anything negative that he might want to leave. Well, that's going to happen. If a player wants to go, they're going to go, and I think the honesty, the accountability of it is not to, to hurt anybody's feelings in the media. I never think about trying to hurt a player. I only talk about the way that they play in order to be honest, to have the conversation and and, be, and give fans an understanding of what it would take to, in my mind, for the team to improve. It's never to attack an individual, but I think we do have to be honest about the shortcomings of individual players.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And, and that's something that, and I, and I do think the media here is different from the media other places. I mean, it, this isn't New York. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, that, that's something that probably will, I don't know if it helps or what it'll do, but I mean, these are NBA players are making millions and they just, you know, they should be able to, you know, they have to be able to deal with the criticism as well as the praise. And, and and so, yeah, but I think Zion knows himself well enough that, I think he knows his shortcomings, um, especially, you know, you talk about, it. I think he knows what he needs to get better at. I mean, I think he's, a smart enough Mm -hmm. guy where he knows, you know, the flaws in his game. And and we just want to see that. We want to see the improvements this year. And and just his body as well. I mean, we want to see him show that he wants to get in shape and do the things that it takes to be uh, an NBA player.
1: Yeah, because it seemed like he went back to South Carolina and, (laughs) you know, you get that – the more black women would get around him and say, Hey baby, you look like you ain't been eaten right. and you get that COVID 15. And you, you spend two weeks with the family and, and clearly emotionally, if he was going through something difficult, if somebody was sick or you yeah, have a family potential, all those things put everything else out of the side of your mind, but he, it just, yeah, that physical conditioning is going to be key for you too as well. But I do agree with you that mentally he, the things I don't worry about with he Ingram and Hart in particular is that as young players, I do believe that they're going to spend their offseason all working on the things they know they didn't do well this year. I yeah. have no worry in my mind that those three guys in particular, I know that they should come back better where, when the, whenever training camp does open. Um, some of the other guys, I have my worries about Jackson Hayes and his maturity. I really worry about his, his maturity. Because I don't think he – there were times when I asked him, and I don't know if you were on the conference call one time, and I asked him about his defensive struggles. And he said he didn't struggle defensively this year. And that bothered me because <laughs> he did. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: He did. And for him to say he didn't, I, I do worry. And, you know, you've seen his body language at times. He just seems like he's too happy to be there on occasion. I, he really needs to grow up between year one and year two. I'm not trying to throw him out with the bathwater, but I'm just saying if he wants to be on, a, on that line and get regular minutes, he better get mature.
0: Yeah. And I think we've all, we, saw the, we saw the potential in him. I mean, he, we know what he could possibly – Turn into if he puts the work in and, and does all the things. So it's just a matter of him him wanting to do that. And you know, I, you know, you hope to see it. We'll, we'll see. we got a lot of stuff to see in year two. I mean, there's a lot of questions that we want to see answered. And and obviously that's another one. So
1: they yeah. they really might be again for the second straight year. They could be the most intriguing franchise in the NBA because there's still so many questions with the Pelicans. It's just a I, I'm looking forward to it. But at the same time, like you said, with all this other stuff that's going on, I don't know how my head is going to process all these things when the season right, to come back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Man, between Tulane, high school, Saints, Pelicans, we got a lot to do over the next few months. And you certainly going to be right in the middle of it. Please tell folks um, how they can follow you and tell them your latest. That's up on um, NOLA.com right now. Um, you can follow me on
0: Twitter at Rod Walker NOLA. And... Um... All my stuff is on, usually on com. so you can just look, look on there. Uh, got Saints stuff going on. Tulane opens their Thanks. season at home. Well, they they opened a season last week. They had their home open this week against the Navy. Uh, obviously, Navy looked really awful last week. Uh, so, you know, Tulane has a chance to go 2-0. and And, um, you know, that's basically it, you know, um, Saints and, and Tulane right now. And um, I guess some of the Pelicans, at some point, they'll – Hire a coach, and, and we'll we'll do that. Um, we'll
1: start talking about the draft and all those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I'm really, been, I mean, man, the NBA playoffs. I'm not trying to switch subjects, but just I've been really into these playoffs more than I even imagined. Considering there are no fans there, and I think just the fact that they they basically play every other night. I mean, every night there's a game on every night. Well, tonight there's not, but uh, there's always a game on. It's just been really intriguing, man. I'm looking forward to the uh, both of these conference finals coming up and. We don't even know who the Lakers are gonna play yet, but um, man, how bad that. is
1: it gonna be if the Clippers lose Game Seven? It's gonna be bad,
0: man. And I'm I'm a guy who I got a lot of friends who aren't Doc Rivers fans. Like they're always ripping me man. I'm always defending Doc, but if he doesn't win this, I man, I'm out to. <laughs>
1: Hey, Sam Cassell not, might be uh, moving up faster than people thought. If right, right. you know, Doc don't pull this one out, you can't Man. lose this series. Man, you cannot do it. Are you a Doc guy? You kind of. I'm. I'm. I'm on the line with Doc. Okay. I think Doc does some things exceptionally well. Um, but I think there are times he coaches tight.
0: Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I think he coached tight you know, with the Clippers when they've had opportunities to close out series when yeah. Chris Paul was there. And I think right now he needs to communicate with Paul George because Paul George has been the most inconsistent on that team. I think he should, he's settling way too much for jump shots. And Paul George, with his length and athleticism, I don't understand why they don't use him in, like, the mid-post or try to get him on the move to get him some easy shots. It just seems like he's turned into a volume shooter, and that's never the way you I used to it, think right, of Paul
0: George. Right, right.
1: But now he's taking 25, 26 shots in a game, and that's to me, is not his, where he's most effective.
0: You think um, – so, games – I mean, I'm not sure when this
1: podcast airs, but uh, – It's today. He's talking about to today. Okay.
0: Again. Okay. So I mean you think the Clippers will find a way to win game seven?
1: I think they better. I think Kawhi comes out and has an amazing game. Cause he you can clearly see that this is bothering him. Those last two games he wasn't happy with the way that they defended. He wasn't happy with the, the decisions they made on offense. And he didn't come to back home to do this. He didn't come back right. home to lose in round two. And he know I think Kawhi knows more than anybody. What this means if they were to lose and to see the Lakers go on to, you know, go through Denver and get to the finals. If that, had, or if Denver were to beat the Lakers, oh, Denver is really- the one that does it and you didn't. <laughs> right. That There's no level of embarrassment that the Clippers could get out from under on that one. Yeah, yeah. So I give it, I give that part, just that little edge. I give the Clippers that enough that Kawhi is not going to let this happen.
0: Yeah. Denver's just so. Man, they're just so relaxed now. They got nothing to lose. They're Man, the the pressure is definitely on the Clippers. I mean, the Denver just go out and play. But so yeah, I, I don't know.
1: But again, Denver is one of those teams where people we keep talking about market size. I don't believe in market size. Right, I think right. it's really it's it's L A. and everybody else because the other markets don't. There's no yeah. real proof that big markets are drawing anybody to them. Right? L A. That's what we're talking about. Right, but right. Denver, Jokic, a home, a guy that you got. Basically, you know, you had to choose. They had to go between Yurkic, uh, Yusuf Nurkic and Jokic. They picked Jokic. He's an MVP caliber player. Murray has never even been an all-star. The rest of the guys are good, but none of them are all-stars. Paul Millsap was an all-star, but he's past his prime. Right. Coaching, identity, defense <laughs> will be they- a long way.
0: Yep, they know who they are, man. Yep. Yeah.
1: They haven't changed. They are playing the same basketball from game one to game six. And they say, if we're go, go out, we're going to go out playing the way the That's Denver Nuggets do. play. Right. Yep. And that, again, whether it's Denver, Miami, all the teams that you've seen, even Boston, which is basically playing seven guys. They ain't even going deep. They, don't, they can't. And no bigs. They got one big in Daniel Tice. But it's a commitment to being who you are every night. And, uh, you know, even – not Toronto. You wouldn't say any of those teams that we're looking at. None of them have a transcendent star. Right. Jason Tatum may be about to take that step. It looks like. Right. But here we are. He's in year four of his career now, and now we're just now saying he's taking that evolutionary leap. Jalen Brown might be that guy who takes it too. But that—that's identity, trust, culture, all those things. It do, you don't need an MVP per se, right. to have a team that can contend for a title if your team knows what the hell is doing. <laughs> like, it's just right. that simple. Yeah, I agree. And 90 times out of 100, it seems like the Pelicans, it it it, ha- it won't matter. It, like, I don't know how you felt about Alvin, but I felt like – I never felt like he was the right jo- the man for the job in particular because it wasn't a veteran team. They kept trying to throw young players at a guy whose system is, and, and principles are built for veterans, guys who don't make a ton of mistakes. Young players make mistakes. But I think Alvin, over the, the five years that he was here, the amount of lineups, the amount of t- players in and out, and the lack of IQ guys, just the seemingly just low basketball IQ guys that kept cycling through New Orleans. I mean, if we had a list of them, <laughs> Dude. That that to me killed it as much as anything. The Pelicans are just not a smart basketball team.
0: Yeah. He um, yeah, I mean, when you when you look back over Alvin's time here, I mean he he caught a lot of bad breaks, man. I mean, just as far I mean, just injuries, the A D saga, um, and then just not having to, you know, some of the pieces that he that that you need to be successful. So, um, and I say all that, but I mean, you know, Get there were some one. times they the inconsistency was still a concern because you saw the talent. I mean, you saw what they could be a lot of nights, but there was a lot of nights you just said, okay. It, they, just couldn't, they just weren't consistent, man. No.
1: And, and a lot of it, uh, I think we have to put it on the players too and hold them oh, to yeah. it because there's no way a coach can tell you to give up 120 points as many times. There's, there's no lack of coaching. At some point, there's some want to and, and resolve involved. And we saw it on a nightly basis that that team, when pushed, would tip over they would not fight back they never really uh, at no point other than Brandon Ingram the night when he got pushed into the stanchion by Gobert you really didn't see on a night tonight base where the Pelicans would get up and were ready to fight anybody to fight for their territory right and that
0: goes back to you know just some we're talking about the kind of guys they need or at least that one guy you know that they'll they'll instill that in his team and I don't think that comes from coaching. I think there's not to be a guy on the, on the floor who can do that.
1: Yeah, they need a bring the ruckus kind of dude, whether it's a yeah. Morris twin or something. You got to go yeah. find one of those bring the ruckus cats. And I think that's what New Orleans really would identify with, too. I think that's why that Crescent City Connection team that we talk about is still so identifiable, is because it was very much like New Orleans. Right. I think New Orleanians are blue collar people. They are people who are used to scratching for what they get and not being respected and feeling that way. Right. And they want a team that has that kind of chip on its shoulder. Chip, that's right. why they, That's why the Saints, they love Sean Payton so much is because he carries a chip on his shoulder.
0: Yeah. And even if there's no reason to, he'll <laughs> – he can make up one. You know, just, just have a reason to have a chip on his shoulder. Yep.
1: And, and and the same reason that he has Taysom Hill throwing passes in the fourth quarter where you got to lead – that's that's yeah. that's Sean Payton I can do this and I will do it I, I may do. not need it but I can do it
0: right yeah
1: <laughs> man it's gonna be a crazy fall it's gonna be a crazy winter um you know I, I just hope I hope I get to see you in person again it's been so long since we yeah. did get to do stuff in person
0: it's funny because even like the Saints guys uh because I'm not going to I got tested and you know I was going to practice but they split us up and so you don't even see people that you so used to being around and it's that part is that part is kind of weird too. So uh, just yeah, you don't even. I think I see people on Zoom so much. I don't even realize I'm not seeing them. And then when I see them in person, I was like, wait a minute, I haven't seen, I haven't actually seen you until now. So yeah, that, that part, the part is different. And uh, you know, I'm just hoping as far as football, I hope we can get through this season. Um, I wasn't optimistic, you know, two months ago. I was like, man, there's no way the NFL is going to be able to pull this off without a bubble, and you know. Maybe they can, I don't know. I mean, we, yeah, I'm, I'm a little more encouraged now than I was again, you know, a few months ago. So we'll
1: yeah, see. I, you know, the NFL, I think they'll, they'll do their best. Um, I just hope that the colleges and I just, I just hope for the best for those college and high school kids. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I really worry about. Right, right. And I just hope people make the right decision and that adults uh, keep them in mind first and not dollars and not jobs. We can get dollars back. We can get jobs back. We can't take... You, you, I don't want to be the person who has to write a story about some right. 20... Like we saw a 20-year-old die in a myocardial... Right. You know, myocarditis. Yep. It just breaks my heart, man. I just can't do yep. it. I just, I just can't. But Rod, you're one of the best. Um, you're a good friend and a, a better reporter, man. And I just appreciate you. And I hope we get to talk again soon. All right. Thanks, man. All right. So for Rod Walker, I am David Grubb. And this has been another edition of Hard to Paint. Make sure you follow me at DMGrub on both Twitter and Instagram. And this is my website, HITPwithDG.com. There's great stuff, all my writing, my TV, radio, podcast, and the uh, HITP store. So check those out. And we'll be back again tomorrow with another edition. Y'all be good.